Before I get started, really, the Lord has been speaking to me just sort of over the last several months. I just keep hearing him say to me, and I know he's saying it to me, he's saying it to all of us, and it's to make room. Make room for him. Make room for the miraculous. We need to make room. Now, if you say, I've already made room, make more room. Expand your, your tent. Stretch out your belief. God is saying, make room. See, in the, in the New Testament, when Jesus was about to be born, it says there was no room for him at the end. See, where he's welcome, he's settled in. So when there's room that we make in our lives, he will come and occupy that space if we make the adjustments and the room for him. We are good about making room for other things. I know in my own life, I've made room because it's important to me. I value it. I make sure that I don't miss the gym. Now, do I say that about my spiritual life? Are we making excuses by the reason we can't do it that day? But if it's a priority, we make room in our lives. We make room for the things that we value. Just like we make room when the things that we purchase, there's value because we desire to purchase that. See, what is greater? We need to make room. See, now, what does that look like practically? It just means that we're mindful of what we're doing, what we spend our time with. What well, we occupy the space of our thoughts and our habits and our lives with. See, if we're in his presence, then we wait a little bit longer. We sit with him a little bit longer. During worship, we go just a little bit longer. During, during services, we wait for him. In, just in our morning time with him, we wait just a little bit longer. See, we just make an adjustment in our life. I just hear him saying, make room for me. You want to see miracles? You've got to make room. See, God can break in at any time, but when we make room in our lives, that's when the potential is so much greater because we're making room for him. We've got to make room. Today's message I've titled it, Deal with Ishmael. Deal with Ishmael. Romans 12, 2 says this, and today I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible, but I'm also going to read out the New Living Translation. Uh, I just like the way it said it, made it a little clearer. So we're going to read Romans 12. To, you guys with me? You guys are awful quiet today. There's, there's feels like a lot, a lot of deadness in the room, but we need to bring it back to life. Hey, come on, let's stand up. We're just going to stand up. Come on, we're going to shake it off. I don't know what's going on. I know there's a lot of people who are bombarded with thoughts, but God is wanting to speak to us today. He's wanting to shake the things off of us that he has not placed in our lives. There are things that we just have been so used to, they're just habitual in us, and we think it's God, but really it's not, and it's of our flesh, and I'll get into that later, but God is wanting to shake us up this morning. He's wanting to, for a season for us to pay a little bit more attention than we normally would. See, we're going we're gonna to listen to his voice just a little bit harder. We're going to listen to his voice just a little bit longer because he is wanting to shape us to be formed like him. Amen? God is wanting to change us right now. I'm telling you, God is wanting to do mighty things in our lives, but we have got to take the steps to make room for him. Romans 12, 2 says this. And do not be just remain standing for just a minute longer. Romans 12, 2 says this. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. It's okay. You shout it out with me. That which is good and acceptable. In fact, let's do that. 
And so let's just read it out with me. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to pray. Father, we want you to transform our hearts today, God. Father, we want to be so like you that, the, that we are unrecognizable to ourselves and to the world, God. We want to look nothing like the world, God, but we want to be full of your glory. So, Lord, I ask, God, we open our hearts, we open our, our ears to hear. God, we want to see you move drastically in our lives, God. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for breaking, breaking oppression off people today. I thank you, Lord, that you are setting us on course to follow after you. God, I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. So, Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Conformed means identified with means having an outward shape. Properly, it's assuming a similar outward form or expression by following the same pattern, the, the same mold, and the same model. See, we don't pattern our lives after the world, but we pattern our lives from his word, from his word, amen? We don't pattern it after the world. We pattern our lives from his word. How we live, how we talk, and how we conduct ourselves should not look like a copy of the world. See, nothing about us should mimic what the world does. How culture is behaving right now should not be reflected in how we live. I'm going to say that again. How culture is, is living right now should not be reflected in our lives. See, when the world can't tell us apart, there's a problem. See, when the world responds in fear, we respond in faith. See, when the world says nothing can be done, we know that all things are possible with him. Amen? See, our responses should be the counter to what the world says. Transformed. In the Greek, it's metamorpho. It means meta, to change after being with, and morpho, changing form in keeping with the inner reality, properly transformed after being with or transfigured. Now, if metamorpho reminds you of anything, I'm sure it reminds you of metamorphosis. And that's good because that is where we get our English word from. Now, when I say metamorphosis, I automatically think about what a caterpillar goes to when it becomes a butterfly. See, we know that caterpillars go through metamorphosis. It starts out an ugly-looking little worm that crawls on the ground, not very fast, it's pretty slow-moving, but it has the potential of being something very beautiful. See, just when the caterpillar thinks its life is over, it emerges a butterfly. Did you know also that caterpillars actually grow new eyes? And listen to this. This is so important to me. The new body has almost nothing in common with the old one. And in order for the new life of the butterfly to begin, first, the old body must entirely lose its form and function. See, that's how we are to live our life, this new life in Jesus. Our bodies, all that we are made up of, should have nothing in common with our old selves. But therein lies the problem. 
I got one more analogy that I think it just perfectly sums up who we are in him. A caterpillar will exclusively eat plant leaves, but a butterfly feasts on the nectar of flowers. Talk about a, a stark contrast. See, our lives are dirty. We're, we're, we're in the dirt, and then God comes to us, and he gives us a new life. And then we begin to, to, to drink of his nectar, of his goodness, of his greatness. See, that's how we are to live. That is a perfect representation of our new life in him. Last time I spoke about we talked about the Israelites, and when they were in the desert, in order for them to enter into Canaan, the Lord gave specific instructions to Joshua that every male must be circumcised. They could not enter into Canaan without being circumcised. This was a physical act that was an external sign of an inward commitment to God and his covenant. See, in the New Testament, we know that the Bible still speaks of circumcision. However, in the New Testament, it's not an external thing that we do. It's an internal thing that we do. The Lord is asking us to cut away that which is precious to us, cut away the flesh, and it still demonstrates our commitment to God, and it's just now a matter of the heart. But yet, our flesh is still an issue. Our flesh wants to rule over our bodies. Our flesh desires to be the one in charge and to be the one calling the shots. Romans 8, 5 says this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Galatians 6, 8 says this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction. That word destruction just means perishable. It's like rotten fruit. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Eternal life. It's not talking about when you get to heaven. Yes, that's a part of it, but it's a reality now on earth. It's about a quality and a quantity that is unmatched. It's like the good fruit, the best of the fruit. They're, they're basically contrasting the difference between uh, the flesh, which the reward is fleeting and momentary, and when the Spirit rewards, it's continual. There's continual edification. It builds us up. So it's sort of like this. The flesh, you get a participation trophy, and the Spirit, you get the gold medal. It just has greater value. No offense to those who have a participation trophy. I happen to have never gotten a participation trophy because I just was terrible at sports. I wasn't even participating good. See, I want to look at Abraham and Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac. And it's just, I'm just going to go over a few scriptures so that hopefully we can glean something from it this morning and we can realize what we are to do when, we, when we're faced with uh, our flesh who is wanting to, to always be in charge and wanting to, there's just a thing God is saying that he wants us to deal with some things in our life, the extra stuff. Amen? So Genesis 16 and 1 says this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now, the words, perhaps I can have children through her. When you look at that in the Hebrew, really what it's saying is, I will build source. 
I will build source. So what Sarah determined is that she could build her family through another source. See, another source became her answer. She wasn't relying on God to bring it through. She was relying on what their hands could produce, what was practical, what was logical. Hagar then becomes the surrogate for what God had called Abraham and Sarah to do. A surrogate, a substitute, a person deputizing for another in a specific role or office. I'll say it like this, one who is appointed in the place of another. See, Hagar became a substitute for what God had declared Sarah would birth. Last time I talked about it, I, I went over the, the, the title of the message last time was, Don't Accept a Copy When You Have Access to the Authentic. See, and Sarah decided that she would accept another form, a copy. See, it looked like the answer that God was bringing through, but it wasn't what God had said. See, Hagar had become a substitute. Sarah seeing her lack and ultimately reaching the decision that she, much like what Eve decided in the garden, they determined that God was withholding something from her. So she decides to follow what? The pattern of the culture. She did what was only natural. But the problem was, this was no natural thing. This was a supernatural promise. Hagar, the surrogate, became the logical, practical solution. But God didn't call Abraham and Sarah to copy the patterns of the world. He called them to live by faith. See, faith doesn't live by logic and reason and practicality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, Sarah sought to build through another source other than God, and they formulated a plan built on the substance of man, and out of flesh, Ishmael is formed. See, Ishmaels are formed when we rush God. It's in the meantime. It's in the waiting. It's in the waiting. See, it's in the waiting, we're waiting for God, but it's in, the, it's in the waiting that we get ourselves in trouble. It's in the waiting that we want to rush God. It's in the waiting that we stop listening to him. It's in the waiting that we start doubting what he said in the first place. It's in the waiting that we start to do what our hands can do. See, Ishmael's are formed when we stop living by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And when we stop listening to him, we begin to turn to our reasoning and we try and we try and we try to build with our hands. He's not asking you to build it with your hands. See, Ishmael's are formed when we don't rely on God as our source. We take matters into our own hands. We think, this shouldn't matter. Let me help you, God. It's taking you a little bit longer. I'm pretty sure you're asking for my help right now. See, it was logical and it was reasonable. But he hasn't called us to logic and reason. He's called us to live by faith. So Hagar conceives. She gives birth to Ishmael. And sometime later, God comes to meet Abraham, and he tells him again, you're going to have a son. And this time, he, he makes it apparently clear that it's going to be through Sarah. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Just pay attention while I'm going with this. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, 
and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. If you read along there, if you paid attention, you'll notice that God says almost over ten times, I will, I will. I will, but Abraham doesn't get it. After all that God says, I will, Abraham's first thought is, how can I? God never said, how could you? He said, I will. See, that's how we come to God. When God speaks over your life and he says, this is what I've called you to do, to live by every word that proceeds out of mouth. I'm calling you to, to miracles. I've called you to be healed. We say, God, how will I? And he said, I never said, how will you? He said, I will. See, God is the one who brings it to pass. We cooperate with him, but it doesn't, get, it doesn't begin with us. We don't manufacture it. We can't work it up enough. God is the one who says, I will make this bring to pass. But our first response is always, how can I? God's not looking for that. See, it was never up to Abraham or Sarah to make it to happen. When God declares something over your life, anything, it's not up to you to make it happen. You are not the source. He is. Genesis 17, 9 says this, Then God said to Abraham, listen, Then God said to Abraham, with all of your questions, how will I do this? Here's his response. Here's God talking to Abraham. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. See, these are the terms for our agreement. All I need for you to do is obey my voice. When I say something, you just simply obey. That's the terms of the agreement. Not what you can do for me, but it's what I can do for you. The terms are simple. Just obey me. Just follow my word. I don't need you to work it up. I don't need you to come and and pray for 14 hours thinking you're impressing me. What I need you to do is obey me at every word. Our part is to simply obey him. Not how will I, but God, you will. You will. Those are the terms of the agreement. All I need to do is simply obey and God will do everything else. See, the terms still apply to us today in times when we don't know, when we're in the middle, and we're waiting. See, we don't need to get ahead of God. All we simply need to do is to obey. That is our responsibility, to obey. Just obey. See, we need to kill the how will I, because the how will I is how we end up with Ishmael's in our life. So God continues to say, you'll be the father of many nations. Sarah will birth a son, and you shall name him Isaac. See, all their attempts on the surface looked very successful for about 13 years. They thought they had done well. But the problem is it wasn't what God had said. And so Abraham, God is speaking to him in Genesis 17, 18. Ishmael is alive, and God has come to to Abraham again saying, you will birth many nations and who my covenant is with is Isaac. But Abraham still seems confused about it 
because he thought what they were doing was God's will, but it wasn't. Genesis 17, 18 says this, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He still doesn't get it. He can still only see what's physically in front of him. Abraham, see, he can make sense of God using Ishmael because Ishmael is there. See, he's thinking, I can't do this. That's the whole point. You can't do it without the help of the Lord. See, it, see Abraham can understand it logically. He could, it was manageable. It was tangible. He could, he could understand it rationally. This I can do. This I can make happen. But what is born of flesh is not the spirit. And has nothing in common with the covenant that God was establishing with his people. See, Abraham seems to say, here God, use what my efforts have created. Look what I've done. See, what's the difference? Can't you use Ishmael? He's here. But the promises of God come by faith and not by works. Not by works. Verse 9 of Genesis 21 we're going to skip ahead. Isaac's been probably around three years old. Verse 9 of Genesis 21 says this. Now Sarah, the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking Isaac. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking Isaac. Genesis 21.10. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this slave woman and her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Ishmael mocked Isaac. See, the, that which was born of flesh mocked that which was born of the spirit. The flesh always mocks the spirit. See, Isaac's name literally means laughter. In Hebrew, when you look at the words for Isaac, and you look at the word for mock, it both mean laughter. But Ishmael attempts to counterfeit, to duplicate, copy, imitate Isaac, who is true laughter. See, Ishmael wanted to be the son of promise. He wanted the inheritance. But all he could do was to mock it or to attempt to copy but he could not. See, the flesh mocks the things of the Spirit because it has no understanding. The flesh earnestly desires to usurp that which is of the Spirit. And here is Sarah's response when she sees what Ishmael is doing. Basically, she says, you better deal with Ishmael. See, we need to deal with the Ishmaels in our lives. What have we given birth to what are those things in our flesh that we have built up, those things that, that we're so attached to, those things we're so familiar with, but God is saying you need to cut that out of your life. It's nothing but mocking the things of the Spirit. Genesis 21.11 says this, The matter distressed Abraham so greatly because of his son Ishmael. See, there is always this intense desire in us to hold on to those things that we see as valuable. Even we have this emotional connection and attachment to things that we have created with our hands, our flesh, our responses, our habits. See, there are attitudes, behaviors, and patterns that we are so attached to because they've been with us for so long. See, we have this tendency to protect our flesh while rejecting what is truly able to bring us freedom. 
Sarah's request crushed Abraham so much that he actually thought Sarah was being evil. His, that was his response. Why are you so evil? See, for 13 years, Ishmael had been with them. Isn't that how we respond to him? When he says, cut that away, we hold things close to us. They're valuable. They're precious. We have a connection. We have a relationship with them. Our response is usually to feel like something is being stripped from us. But in verse 21, 12, but God says to Abraham, he clears it up. Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. See, this verse clears up any confusion we may have that Sarah was just being vindictive. She wasn't just trying to get at him, but it reveals that she saw something beyond a kid just playing or making fun of another. She discerned something greater at risk, that Ishmael wanted to take the place of Isaac. He wanted to be the son of promise. He wanted to be the one in covenant relationship. Genesis 21, 14. New King James Version says this, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting on her shoulder and the child, and he sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Here's what we are to do. We are to rise up and send our flesh away. See, we must expel in our lives what that which is of the flesh. It must be removed from our lives. That is our appropriate response. We must never continue a relationship that we have built with our flesh, but it must be severed. John 3, 6 says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That means if we started something off in the flesh, it doesn't end up in the Spirit somehow. See, the two never agree. It won't start in the flesh and become spirit. See, Scripture puts a high demand on how we are to treat our flesh. It says we are to crucify the flesh. That's pretty straightforward. We know what Scripture says to do, but are we doing it? Are we crucifying our flesh? Rather, we tend to make excuses for our habits, our attitudes, our thoughts, See, we like to make excuses for our flesh. We pretend our, our behaviors aren't as bad. We say stuff like, I'm working on it. Well, how long does your working on it get to count? See, you need to kill, crucify the flesh and let it die. It's not I that live, but Christ in me. That born of flesh is flesh, and that of the spirit is spirit. Now, I'm either giving life to my flesh or I'm giving life to the Spirit. It's all up in my choices. When you look at the word for flesh in the Greek, it actually means a carnal merely of human origin and human empowerment. We empower, we give strength to, we support and enable when we allow the things of the flesh to go unchecked. And it's totally up to us who we choose and what we choose to empower. I'm going to end with this, Romans 12, 2 again. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we not copy the world or have a form of godliness? It's, we spend time in his presence. We allow our minds to be renewed, renewed to change something to a new thought, to a new pattern, to a new belief. 
And when we allow new thoughts to be created, the metamorphosis in us truly begins. Stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you know our hearts more than we do, God. Father, I pray today, God, that you would show us the areas that we need to deal with, God, the Ishmael's in our life, God, the things that are of our flesh, God. They may not be sin, God. They may just be things that, that don't bring us life. And God, I ask, Lord, that you would just open our eyes to see the things that we need to cut away, God, the things that we have made room for, God, but they're not of you. So show us where we need to make room for you, God. Father, I thank you that you want to do miracles, God. You want to move in our lives in a, in a radical way, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you search our hearts, God. We ask you to search our hearts, Lord. Lord, reveal the Ishmaels in our lives, those things that we have done in the flesh, those things that we have created, those things, God, kill the religion in us, God. Kill the works mentality in us, God, that we, we know that we live by faith, God, and we walk in obedience to your voice today, God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are searching our hearts, Lord. God, we don't, we don't get in a rush to move on, God. God, we want to stay in a moment where we're just waiting upon you, God, where we're making room for you to speak, for you to move, God. Father, we're not in a hurry, God. We, wanna, we want you to come in your fullness and in your glory, God. God, we seek your face today, Lord. Father, we thank you that we want the authentic you, God. We don't want a form of you. We don't want another version of you. We don't want a copy, God. We want our flesh to die so that our spirit lives strong in us, Lord. Father, we bless you today, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are truly changing us from glory to glory to glory. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you will renew our minds. You will set us on the right course. Those who are struggling with things right now, God, God, we just resettle ourselves back into you, God. We thank you that your presence speaks louder, God. You just surround us even now, God, and you will, you will, you will, you will settle our hearts, God. I, I pray for every person in this place who's worrying about what, what they're going through, God. I know, God, that you are their answer, God. So we turn to you, God. We trust you, Lord. We put our hope and our faith and our confidence in you, not in what we can do, God, but what you can accomplish. So, Lord, we no longer say, how will I, but we say, you will, God. We thank you that you will accomplish all the things that you have said over our lives and over this church. Lord, we bless you. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.